0: Well good evening. What is the uh, what do they call the study of birds? Is that ornithology? So Randy needs a lesson on ornithology, right? Randy, you called him a parrot. I think it's Perry the Peacock instead of Perry the Parrot, right? Hey, we'll we'll give you a hall pass. You're from Arkansas. So tonight we're starting a series that hopefully will coincide with the series that we're doing on Sunday mornings about family. We're talking about Isaiah's words in Isaiah chapter 6, Here I am, Lord, send me. And we're talking about that response by Isaiah, but we're talking about two others before that that maybe we see in our culture somewhat today and even within the church. And tonight we're looking at Here I am, don't send me. Can you think of a character in the Bible who exemplified this attitude? Any guesses who we're talking about tonight? Who? Jonah, yeah, very good, yeah, that's it. I mean, there's more than one. You know, it reminds me of when we were living in Cassville, Missouri, Uh, the church had a house that we lived in, and it was separated by a large parking lot, and my kids loved to go out in that parking lot and ride their bikes and, and play, and one day, I was looking out the window, and Zane was running all over the parking lot in a serpentine fashion, zigging and zagging, running in circles. I assumed that there was a bee or something chasing him, but he kept doing this for several minutes so I finally stepped outside and I said, hey, everything okay? And he goes, yeah, why? I said, well, you're, you're running around like a madman. He said, well, I'm, I'm trying to get away from my shadow. <laughs> you ever tried to do that? You ever tried to run from your shadow? It's it's impossible, right? And that's what Jonah was essentially doing. He wasn't running from a shadow, he was running from God, and it too is impossible. Turn with me to the book of Jonah. We're going to look there. First, we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8, which forms the basis for this series. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. I believe. Our attitude, our mantra, our livelihood as Christians should be this. This is the battle cry for all Christians everywhere for all time. Here I am, Lord, send me. Doesn't matter where you want to go. Doesn't matter if you agree with where you're being sent. Our only attitude should be, here I am, Lord, send me. Jesus is our example of this, of course. John chapter 20 verse 21, he states, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. Jesus was sent. The apostles were sent. And that charge has come down through the ages to you and me. We have been sent as well. And we've We've heard it said over and over again. I've even said it in cliche form. You were not saved to sit. You were saved to serve. Being a Christian means that we enlist in the Lord's army. And enlisting in the Lord's army includes going to those who are lost. Because if not us, who, right? If we are to be ambassadors of Christ, we may be the only Bible someone reads. If we don't go to people, if we don't act as those who have been sent then obviously people will not hear. God told Jonah to go. Go to Nineveh and cry against it. Understand, God was not sending Jonah to some place that was easy and convenient. Nineveh would be uncomfortable. Nineveh was ruthless. It was corrupt. It was immoral. And they would have had no problem adding Jonah's body to the already heaping pile of carcasses. He was to go and cry out against the city. But that doesn't seem to be the primary reason why Jonah was upset about going, does it? No, it seems to be that Jonah wasn't too happy about going to Nineveh, all because he believed in the God of mercy. Jonah was not an unbeliever. Jonah believed in God, and he believed that God was a benevolent God, and therein lied the problem. Jonah didn't believe that God should be showing mercy and grace the Ninevites. What if they repent? What if they turn around? Then they wouldn't get what he felt that they deserved. Jonah was okay with God supplying him with grace and mercy, but not so much when it applied to the Ninevites. And that, and that attitude is really not uh, exclusive to Jonah. We see it with the religious leaders in Jesus' this time, right? The Pharisees believed that, you know, The Jews were God's chosen people. They were his special people, and there was a special inheritance reserved for them. But the Gentiles, uh, they were nothing more than kindling to stoke the fires of hell. So Jonah's attitude is not unique to Jonah. But the first thing that you need to notice about Jonah is that he was not an unbeliever. He had faith. He knew the God that he served. And the picture that we have of Jonah is a man who served God. The problem is he wanted to serve God on his terms. When the storm raged out on the sea and the mariners were scared, Jonah asked, him, asked them to throw him overboard, but they refused. Look at what is written in Jonah chapter 1 verse 8. Then they said to him, tell us now on whose account has this catastrophe struck us? What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and for what people are you? And Jonah responds with these words, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea And the dry land. This is a profession of faith. Jonah is professing his faith in the one true God. Although he is running from God, he hadn't abandoned his faith in God, apparently. We might call this selective obedience. Like we talked about with the bag of trail mix, right? Pick out the parts you like, you discard the parts that you don't. Jonah confesses that he is indeed a Hebrew, that he does indeed fear God, the Creator. And the other sailors had to be confused by this, right? I mean, so why are you running from this God that you say you believe in, right? Why do you run from this God that you say you serve? Why are you going to all this trouble? Why are you putting all of us in danger if you are a believer? Jonah, of course, represents an inconsistent lifestyle. Obviously, we can learn from Jonah that consistent discipleship is what we should be after, We do great damage to our ability to reach people if what we profess doesn't match our livelihood or the way that we live. But I want you to notice the reaction of these men in verse 10 and following. Then the men became extremely afraid, and they said to him, how could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So they said to him, "'What should we do to you so that the sea will become calm for us?' For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. And he said to them, "'Pick me up and hurl me into the sea.' Then the sea will become calm for you, because I know that on account of me, this great storm has come upon you. However, the men rowed desperately to return to land, but they could not because the sea was becoming even stormier against them. Then they cried out to the Lord and said, We earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life, and do not put innocent blood on us, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased." You know, peril has a way of reminding us of our priorities, doesn't it? Danger can drive us closer to God. It often does. These sailors knew that they were ever close to death, and yet they weren't willing to simply toss Jonah overboard. And they even acknowledge the God who was controlling all of this. Isn't that interesting? It just goes to show you that God is going to accomplish his good will. If Jonah wasn't going to play ball, then somebody else would because he was going to accomplish his goodwill. And it's interesting that now these sailors, these mariners, profess faith in the very God that Jonah was running from. An ironic twist, to say the least. Isn't it sad when the world shows more faith than we do? You ever been embarrassed by someone who is not a Christian kind of taking you to task for what you did or didn't do? I remember very vividly, we were before a basketball game. I had all the kids gather up and we had a prayer. And after that prayer, I said something I shouldn't have in order to get them excited to go out and play the game. And after the game, a couple of the kids came to me. They weren't Christians. They came to me to say, Coach, we, we didn't really think that was, was good, what you said. And they were exactly right. You talk about shameful, you talk about embarrassing. That your own kids who were not Christians come to you and say you're acting inconsistent. That's embarrassing, right? But it happens to the best of us. We all fall into this, uh, you know, this, 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 um Uh, maybe this mentality or this attitude where we have this selective obedience, or maybe we do it unconsciously where we, you know, we want to do the right thing, but we're inconsistent in doing so. And sometimes we just blatantly ignore God's commands in favor of our own thing. But I want you to notice in verse two of chapter four, Jonah prays a prayer. He says, then he prayed to the Lord and said, please, Lord, was this not what I said when I was still in my own country? Therefore, in anticipation of this, I fled to Tarshish since I knew that you are a gracious and Compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in mercy, and one who relents of disaster. Jonah believed in the God of second chances. Jonah believed in the God of mercy. He also believed that there should be a limit as to who gets shown that grace and that mercy. God could bless Jonah all he wanted, but he wanted no part of of God blessing Jonah's enemies. He wanted to set the terms. He had faith. But he also had a worldly mindset. He was trying to maybe keep one foot in each kingdom, which maybe we try to do at times as well. Jonah didn't agree with the way that God was handling things, and he certainly didn't want to be privy to God saving the lowly Ninevites, which is why he ran. The story of Jonah, I think, illustrates the value of consistency in our daily walk with God. I think it shows us that we must practice what we proclaim and and all those those things that we talk about when we talk about discipleship. An inconsistent lifestyle gives credence to those folks who are just looking for a reason not to follow. Many in our world cannot wait to catch us in an inconsistency or catch us in a hypocrisy so that they can say, See, I, I don't need God. I mean, they have God and they don't act any better than I do. No one is perfect, of course, and no one should be expected to be. However, I think we need to always be striving for consistency so as not to give the world a reason to dismiss us. I think about this a lot, and in my prayer life, I pray to God in this respect. I want to be the best preacher that I can possibly be. And I always pray to God, use me so that when I leave this earth, I'm completely exhausted doing your work. If I'm going to be a tool for you to use, use me up. And may I always take advantage of the opportunities that you place before me to preach the gospel, to to reach the lost. Use me up, God. And then in that same prayer, I I ask God always to help me be the best at it that I can possibly be. Help me be the most effective preacher or tool that I can possibly be. And do you know how I think you achieve that? I think the way that I can be the most effective tool possible is by being the most like Jesus I can possibly be. Because I think if I make it the goal, not to be a great preacher, but if I make it the goal to be a great man of God, if I make it the goal to be more like Jesus today than I was yesterday, if that's the goal, I'm going to be a better father, I'm going to be a better husband, I'm going to be a better preacher. Because this whole preacher thing, it's, it's icing on the cake. I mean, the best thing is that I'm a child of God, right? That I'm rescued, that I have a hope, an inheritance. The preaching stuff is extra, and it's great. It's a wonderful extra. It's a great bonus. But first and foremost, I'm a child of God. And if I strive to be the best child of God that I can possibly be, not because I want accolades from human beings, but because I want to make God proud, then I'm going to be the best at everything, right? You know, it's absolutely absurd to think that we can run from God. Yet that didn't stop Jonah from trying, and it hasn't stopped many people from trying to run from God. But what is the primary reason? Why would you ever run from God? I think sin probably pops into your mind as maybe the first thing. Sin is typically the motive to run. We talked about that this morning. What did Adam and Eve do when they realized that they were naked, that they were afraid, that there was shame? What did they do? They ran and hid, right? That's usually the natural response. When God called Jonah, he had a choice to make, a choice between duty or desertion, a choice between obedience or obstinance. You can choose the path. But you can't always choose the consequences. You can spend your entire life living the way that you want, but you can only spend it once, right? And Jonah learned a hard lesson when it comes to running away from God. Satan will always provide the transportation. When you're ready to move away from God, Satan will always provide you a vehicle. And you will always pay your own fare. Jonah paid the fare to hop a boat to Tarshish. But when you pay your own fare to run from God, you always pen, end up spending way more than you ever thought. A tempest is raging, develops on the sea. This storm didn't just affect Jonah, it affected other sailors as well because sin does that. Sin has collateral damage. It often doesn't just affect you, it affects those around you and it certainly did for Jonah. Jonah's desperate attempt to flee from God landed him in his own personal hell. This is the part of the story that usually gets the most attention, and it drives me nuts. Who cares if it's a whale or a fish or whatever kind of thing it was, right? He finds himself in the belly of it. And that's what happens all too often, is that we run from God, we run from God, and we find that eventually we reach a dead end. And it's when we reach the dead end or the rock bottom that we realize there's nowhere else to turn. The only way we're going to get out of this is to run back to God, to go back in the direction that we were running from in the first place. And that's what happens with Jonah. He finds himself in the belly of this great fish. Most often, our problems that cause us to drift from God or run from God are problems with authority. We don't want God in control, we want to be in control of our own lives. That's what. That's what Jonah did. He wanted to be in control. He wanted to choose his own destiny. He didn't want to go to Nineveh. And he finds himself in the belly of this fish. And there, he prays one of the most beautiful prayers in all the Bible. Look at it with me. Verse 1 of chapter 2. I called out of my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. I called for help from the depth of Sheol. You heard my voice, for you threw me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, And the current flowed around me. All your breakers and waves passed over me. So I said, I have been cast out of your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again toward your holy temple. Water encompassed me to the point of death. The deep flowed around me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. I descended to the base of the mountains. The earth with its bars was around me forever. But you have brought up my life from the pit, Lord my God. While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who are followers of worthless idols, abandon their faithfulness, but I, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving that which I have vowed I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. I was watching a show just before I came here this evening called Monster Fish, and this guy was trying to find, it, find out if the legend was true about these man-eating catfish. So many times, Jonah reads like the mother of all big fish stories, right? It gets all the attention when this is a story about God. It's not even a story about Jonah. It's a story about God. And I don't really concern myself with the, whether or not God can create a, a fish or a whale or whatever big enough to swallow a man. I believe he can do that. If he can raise the dead, he can create a fish to swallow up Jonah. So Jonah finds himself in the belly of this fish And decides to do a U-turn. He decides to run back towards the God he had been running from this whole time. Now we know how the story plays out. It doesn't really have a happy ending and I think that's on purpose. I think the story ends abruptly because I think there's some more things to consider there. And we won't get into all that this evening. But instead of running away from God, Jonah was now ready to run to God. And God, of course, would be waiting. It was absurd to think you could ever run from God in the first place. Why would you want to? But it took the depths of his own personal hell to realize that Jonah needed to do something different. Several years ago, probably 10 years ago now, I went to the Taylor County Jail to speak. And uh, I've done that before, not here, but I've spoken it in prison before. They, they put me in a room with 30 inmates, just us, locked in the room. I thought there'd be a guard or something. No, just us. And we're in the room, and I'm thinking, this is a tough crowd. I'm going to have to do good tonight. And so I told the story about the woman at the well in in John chapter 4. And I related to them that story. And I talked to them about how this woman had three strikes against her. You know, she was a woman, she was a Samaritan, and she was living in sin. And yet, Jesus didn't cut her to pieces, He didn't verbally butcher her. He showed her love and compassion. She had been married five times, and she was currently living with a man she wasn't married to. And yet, Jesus showed her love and compassion because He wanted her. To follow him. And so I went through that whole story, and, and at the end of it, I asked him, I said, It is it safe to say that all of you in this room have been living life on your own terms? And they said, Yeah. I mean that yeah, they all agreed. And I said, How's that working out for you? Obviously, it had led them to their own personal hell. And so then we talked about Jonah. And the prayer he prayed from the belly of the great fish. And we talked about how you can do a U-turn. How you got to just keep fighting, right? How you've got to, you know, as long as you've got breath in your lungs. And, you know, as long as your heart is beating, you have opportunity. How did it work for Jonah? How's it working for you? Are you trying to live life on your own terms? Are you attempting to run from God? Hopefully not. Sometimes we... I think, run from our responsibility and try to live life on our own terms. We want to be in control. Thomas talked about that in his class this morning. You know, it's, it's, control is something that's hard to let go of, right? But every time we run, storms come. It is futile to fight against God because he will always win. He even used Jonah's disobedience to turn the hearts of those sailors on the boat Remember that in verses 4 and 5 of chapter 1, it reads, However, the Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. Then the sailors became afraid, and every man cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo, which was in the ship, into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone below into the stern of the ship, had lain down, and had fallen sound asleep. And then in verse 14, we see the intensity of the storm and the fact that Jonah was the cause of all of it. And it brought these mariners to a state of belief. Verse 14: Then they cried out to the Lord and said, We earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life, and do not put innocent blood on us, for you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. You can't fight against God. Maybe we try. Maybe we'd like to have things go a different direction. Maybe we don't uh, always agree with God, but you can't fight against God. It's futile to try. In John chapter 6, Jesus gives that sermon about, I'm the bread of life. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood will have eternal life. And you remember, a lot of people that were following him chose to, to, to go away. They didn't want to follow him anymore. It was too difficult. And he looks at his apostles and essentially says, you can leave too. And Peter responds, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. I mean, Peter knew what side his bread was buttered on. Peter knew that while it may be easier in the moment to walk away, ultimately, where are you going to go? Why would you ever walk away from Jesus? Why would you ever turn and run from God? It makes no sense. Even though it's difficult, even though it's hard, maybe, maybe you're hurting. Maybe you've been dealing with, with, with death Maybe you've been dealing with sickness for a prolonged period of time. Maybe you're dealing with heartache. Whatever it may be, what's your options? You can turn away from God. Many people do. It's so frustrating and it's so disheartening how many people, how many Christians turn away from God when they need Him the most? How many Christians turn away from the church when they need the church the most? My encouragement to you is keep fighting. That's the only option you have, right? Keep fighting. Because I believe when you've been in heaven 50 million years, you may see somebody here on earth, maybe one of us, and we say, yeah, how are you enjoying it up here? Oh, it's great. 50 million years and eternity to go. It's awesome. You know, no problems at all. And maybe one of you says, well, yeah, but didn't you have it hard on earth? And you go, oh, yeah, seems like I did. Who cares, right? You made it. And I know it's hard to see through that at the time, but you keep fighting, you keep pushing realizing that if you run from God, you got to know what you're running from. You turn away from God, you better realize what it is you're turning away from. It's not a good gamble. Not a good decision. No matter how difficult, keep fighting, play till the whistle blows, right? I don't know about you, but I get a lot of spam calls. By the way, if I see one of you broken down on the side of the road, I'm not stopping to help. You got those calls about car warranties for a long time. You should have done something about it, right? I get a lot of spam calls. I got on a no call list. My phone is supposed to notify me if it's a spam call. It doesn't always work. Unfortunately, some calls get through. Sometimes I see a number I don't recognize and I don't answer because I'm afraid that it is a spam call. You ever tried that no call list? Is God on your no call list? There are times when you'd rather ignore the call. Times when you think, maybe I don't want to answer today because it might be inconvenient. It may be uncomfortable. Let me leave you with a question tonight. Where is your Nineveh? What's the one place you won't go? And Whatever that place is, identify it and immediately change your mindset and say, Here I am, Lord. Send me. Let's pray. Most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, you are our God and we are your people. May your will be done in all things. And God, may we continue to fight the good fight. May we always strive to live a life of faithfulness to you. May we recognize always that we have been sent and may we always go wherever going may take us. We love you, God, and we thank you so much for loving us. It's in your son's precious name we pray, amen. It's been a good day. I hope you feel that it's been a good day as well. As you start your week, some of you are starting back to school. I hope that you have a great, great day, a great week. More than anything, I pray that you look like Jesus and that you glorify him in all that you do. If you have a need tonight that we can help you with, David's going to lead us in a song. We have the father-son duo today, David A in the morning, David H tonight. David's going to lead us in a song. If we can pray with you, if we can love on you, support you, if you're ready to put on Christ in baptism, next step in faith, whatever it is, why don't you come as we stand.